Welcome to Legacy Women's Podcast, where we seek to encourage women in their relationship with God and one another through monthly conversations with the women of Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Julie Coughlin. Julie is a pastor's wife and friend to CCK. Her husband, Bob, leads Sovereign Grace Music and is a pastor at Sovereign Grace Louisville Church. And a few years ago, they came to our leaders retreat and Julie shared with the women on the topic of remaining steadfast. And in that talk, she openly shared about her life, both the joys and struggles, and encouraged our faith in God through all circumstances. After hearing her share, I think we all wanted to have a sit-down chat and hear more, and so that's what we get to do a few years later. Um, She's currently here with Bob, who just led a wonderful Christmas concert last night. Um, You were in the back running sound, which you've become a guru at, and I guess that's just what happens when your husband's a worship leader. Um, And so I just wanted to chat with you as a godly older woman um, who's followed the Lord for many seasons of life and draw you out on a variety of topics Um, just to benefit from your wisdom and experience and just to have our faith built as we hear about God's faithfulness to you. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, your early years, marriage, kids. We'll see about the wisdom. I definitely have experience. So, Um, Well, I was about mixing. Uh, My husband was in a band called GLAD. We traveled for eight years full time, and I was the mixer for that. So we were on the road and went to all different kinds of places to mix. So I probably have been mixing for 38 years or something like that, which is ridiculous. (laughs) So anyway, um, my family is British and I'm the youngest of, I have two older brothers and we basically waited for me to be born to move to the States because my father worked for a British aircraft corporation and they were starting a company in the States. So, so we moved here. So I, grew up very American um, but my family was very British and but I don't think I ever really realized how British they were you know you just you just go along (laughs) Um, but we would always have tea in the morning and it wasn't until I was probably 30 that I was like oh that's like an English thing Um, so yeah but very godless family we never went to church Um, my brother was dating a girl who is Catholic in high school I think and they invited me to the midnight mass um, at Christmas, and I went. And this is how bad it was. I thought when they went up for communion, and that was like snacks, and they told me I couldn't go up. And I was like, "What is the deal?" Um, so then, fast forward. I was uh, in high school during the Jesus Movement, so a lot of people were being converted, um, and I had a friend who was a Christian. And I really liked Bob at the time. And Did you go he, to high school together? Yes. Okay. And he was um, doing a concert at a Baptist church. So I talked my friend into going because I would just go to anything that he was at. And, uh, and she had told me before, you don't stand a chance with him. <laughs> but anyway, so um, he, I went there. And when we were sitting there in the intermission, I was looking at the program and I said, isn't this a, I'm trying to make a joke. I was like, isn't this a terrible name for a church? And it was Calvary Hill Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was like the Calvary, like da 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 And she like looked at me and, um, and she was like, I mean, do you know what Easter is? And I was like, yeah, like rabbits, candy, 
you know, and stuff. And she said, oh. So the next day at school, she talked to me a little bit more. And then she was like, our church is doing this big Easter thing for the youth group. Would you want to come with me? And I went. And they were, like, um, preparing for a sunrise service. And I was just, like, had never even known anything that there was a God, that Jesus existed. And it was like my, I mean, talk about scales falling off your eyes. I was just like, oh my, like, I can't believe, you know, I was 16 years old and never knew any of that. So I think that's when I was converted. And then from then on, I just was so hungry just to learn everything Mm -hmm. I could about the Lord. Um, I also grew up riding horses and so that was like my life until I got converted, like I showed and was Virginia State champion and all that stuff. But um, so all that changed when I got converted. Like I was just disillusioned with the life that I experienced before. I mean, I had gotten into drugs and drinking and all that. And um, it was just like I, I just stopped everything. You know, so it was pretty radical change. My parents had no idea like what mm-hmm. to do and thought I was just going through kind of a hippie phase or something, but it stuck apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, tell us a little bit about your family. How many years have you been married? How many kids? Okay. Kids? Um, got married in 76. So what is that? 44 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have six kids. And like I said, we were on the road for the first eight years, uh, with GLAD. And at the end, we had two. My oldest, Megan and Jordan, were on the road with us. That was quite a challenge. <laughs> so we had six kids. Nowadays, they're 25 to 40. Um, and we have 19 grandkids and uh, two more on the way um, from our youngest kids. And it's crazy. I mean, when we all get together, it's just loud and full and busy, uh, but so great. I mean, I never, I never even, like before I became a Christian, I never even thought about getting married, didn't think ever about having kids. And just to see, I mean, when I had Megan, I had never babysat, never changed a diaper. I knew nothing. (laughs) And the people that we were around, you know, I mean, we were all, everybody was kind of a first generation Christian, so there weren't any like older people to talk to. Um, it was just like, yeah, well, I don't know, what do you do? Wow. <laughs> so yeah. you just learn along the way. Um, so yeah, so we were on the road, and then we both got a real conviction about just being part of a local church because um, we played at so many churches and kids would like get converted and then but you didn't even have that much confidence in the church that you were leaving them in and we were just we want to be part of seeing people grow and and living life alongside them in the process um, and really being committed to that and stuff so Bob um, quit the band and uh, we just started going to um, at that point what was it called Fairfax Community Church, maybe, was it called? I went there, too, for yeah. a short period oh, yeah. of time. Yeah. yeah. So we were there, and um, eventually, I think, so there was a year where Bob 
really didn't have a job. He wasn't hired by the church, had no promises of being hired by the church. Um, and he just did music on the side. And we lived in subsidized housing and we're extremely poor. Well, we had always been extremely poor, but um, we struggled through that year. But then he got hired, um, I think, to oversee evangelism and worship, maybe, at that church. So that's great. The rest is history. <laughs> um, well, one of the things that when you shared to the ladies, your topic was steadfastness. And that just was interesting to me. You opened said, my heart for women is that they remain steadfast. Yes. I just, that was interesting. And I just wondered, why is that on your heart? Mm-hmm. Um, and what would you say to women about that? Without yeah. redoing the entire yeah, no, no. Um, talk, which I will <laughs> tell you how to find, but at the end. But, yeah, well, I think... Um, Okay, so growing up, you know, I had two brothers, and I was just around guys a lot, like in our neighborhood and in the horse world and all that. And so being around women was just kind of a new new experience for me, and I just was, um, I don't know, I've just become so aware, and having four girls, just how hormones and emotions and cycles like we are so changeable like you know one day everybody's happy the next day it's the depths of despair you know and I was just like I just don't I don't think that's what God wants for us I mean we have to battle those things and then when I read the Old Testament I feel like God's heart was so much just trust me just trust me. Trust me in the hard times. Trust me in the great times. Trust me in the dry times. You know, and and not be so movable. With you know, just you know that every wind of doctrine like will knock you off. You know, it's just no. There we have to have this bedrock that we eventually sink our toes down to through all the circumstances of life, where it's just no. I know. God is all-powerful. I know he's sovereign. I know he's in control. I know he only wants good for me. I know he's faithful. So why in this circumstance do I so quickly, okay, well, it's not going to work this time. You know, this this isn't going to be the time that he's going to be good to me. You know, and just, yeah, I just, I, yeah, it's, I just wish people would just like rest on him and what they know to be truth and to go there more quickly. I think we allow ourselves to entertain those thoughts. I mean, our minds are, as women, are so quick to, you know, our husband can be late from work and we're like ready to call the hospital. You know, it's just, <laughs> we like quickly run to these just worst case scenarios. Um, rather than the first place being, okay, God, I know I I trust you. I'm tempted right now to be incredibly anxious, but I know that you're watching over me and you have the best for me. So that's that's kind of where that bore out of. Do you have thoughts on how to make that your habit? How to make that more your your automatic is to go to the Lord and rest in the Lord as opposed to just going down the path. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember who it is. There's a quote. Is because faith is a refusal to panic. Mm. I think it might have been Spurgeon. Probably. It was really good. Um, yeah, I think we don't take it seriously enough. Um, 
Like we've been um, talking to a girl recently who can be incredibly fearful and just mistrusting God's will for her life kind of thing. Uh, and she recently got married, and it was just like the whole process of her getting deciding to marry was just this elusive, like, how can I know what, what God wants me to do? And what if I make a mistake? And, you know, and all this. And uh, to the point where, I mean, we were just like, no, you just need to get married. <laughs> He's, this guy is stuck by you through all of this, all your doubts. And um, so they got married, and she can still be extremely tempted. And the last time we were talking to her, I was like, like, I think you need to realize that what you're doing is sin. Like, you're so passionate to to fight your sin in other areas. But for some reason, with not trusting God, like, that doesn't register as sin to you. That registers as, no, I'm just trying to find his will. And maybe I'm not hearing him right and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's ultimately, no, I just don't trust that God's going to take care of me at this moment. You know, so. Yeah, that's a good reminder that. We need to repent yeah. of it. And yes. I think in that act of repentance, it does help that become more of a pattern of like, oh, well, if I go down this path, I'm going to have to repent of right. it later because <laughs> it is wrong. Um, yeah. Well, and I think I love that the Lord has given us uh, bodies and feelings that react to things. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell physically when you become anxious, mm-hmm. you know, and and that needs to be a red flag to us rather than, oh, wow, I'm anxious. Yeah boy, this is really terrible. Right, right. You know, and we just went down that road and stuff. So, um, yeah, and I I try to just make it a practice of if there is, are things that are hard that I go back to what I know to be true about God. Like I don't know what the future is and I don't know, you know, what's going on and why things are crazy right now. But what I know to be true is that God has my best. Do I really believe he's sovereign? Like I say I do. Do I believe he's sovereign in this instant? You know, or do I think that he's somehow like missed that I did this thing? You know, so. So going back to his attributes and what is true about him and really rehearsing those things and rehearsing his faithfulness to us in the past. Like, gosh, he carried me through that. Like, He's going to be faithful in this situation. I mean, like COVID right now, you know, it's like so crazy, you know, but you just go, well, no, he's always, he's watched over us. He's allowing this to happen. I want my posture to be more like, Lord, what are you trying to teach us through this trial rather than, oh my gosh, things are out of control. Where's God? You know, like we quickly go there. Yeah, that's good. And kind of jumping off that, uh, when you talked to us, you shared about trials mm-hmm. that you've been through most recently, your own cancer, a mastectomy, a grandson with leukemia that has recurred, and um, other things. And so I just wondered, as you look back, you can pick one trial or just kind of in general, mm-hmm. what have you seen God do in your life, in your heart, through mm-hmm. those that you can look back and see as faithfulness? Yeah, well, I think there's the, the when you're, you know, a young married (laughs) um you know and and we can be dumb and things that we do and I see how God gently has led us you know to I mean to where we are now I think like God I can't I would have never written this 
you know, but you have, you know, just pushed, just always made the decisions very obvious, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, you're going to go here. All those doors are shut. This is what you're going to do. You know, we've moved a number of times, placed, um, planted a church in Charlotte, uh, moved up to Gaithersburg. Um, now we're in Louisville, you know, and even that, like the circumstances that got us to Louisville weren't the most pleasant. But now I like look out at the church and I go, God, you did this. Mm-hmm. Like how in the world? Like we have all these relationships. We've seen lives changed, marriages happen, marriages saved, you know, and you did all this. So you've been so faithful um, over the years. So, okay, so trials. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so there was this period of time when we were um, still in Gaithersburg. Um, there was a lot of challenges in the church um, and uh, our, our son and daughter-in-law um, were living with us because he was going to the pastor's college for a sovereign grace. And then her, um, their 18-month-old, I guess, was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, at the same time, my mother had Alzheimer's and she was living with us upstairs and she was just, she was not saved by any, <laughs> but she was just all her bitterness and anger um, came out um, as a result of having Alzheimer's and she was just very unpleasant. So that was going on. Our kids were teenagers. Um, my oldest daughter was married. All of a sudden, her husband decided that he didn't believe in God and just kind of turned on her and eventually just left her with five kids. Um, and so she had to move with us. It was just like all these things were happening. And I remember one time, like my mom, well, my kids were like afraid to have people come over because like they never knew, like we had these stairs that came off of our family room. And my mom's kind of apartment was up there. And she would like, you know, poke her head out and like just start cursing at the people. <laughs> it was just Exciting like, times. oh my gosh. You know, so it was just like trying to keep everybody together in the midst of it. But I remember at one point just thinking like, Lord, this is like ridiculous. <laughs> like I cannot believe that all these things are happening at once. And I just like felt this, I don't know if it was the Lord, the Holy Spirit or what, but I was just like, I felt like he said, you know, you just need to lean forward and find out what I'm trying to teach you in the midst of this. Um, And before that, before all that mess, Bob had had this time when he kind of went crazy, we call it, (laughs) Um, where he would have like panic attacks and be hopeless. And he's a very positive person. So, um, I'm sorry, this is a jumble of thoughts. But anyway, so that was before. That was We were in Charlotte at the time. And, um, and I, every night we would like sit and talk. And I'd ask him how he was doing. And he would tell me like this, the temptations he had had in that day and his thoughts. And I'd, we'd, just rehe- I'd, we'd just rehearse the gospel. And I'd just talk to him about the gospel. And when all that stuff was happening in Gaithersburg with all those other circumstances, 
I realized like that that put this deposit in my life that hadn't been there before, just that rehearsal. And I've talked to other women whose husbands have gone through hard times and it's like so hard for them. And I just saw like, no, that was so good for me because I got the gospel during that time. Like, this is what's gonna help us. This is the only thing that's gonna help us. And uh, and so that was this, so, so I just, like over looking at my life, I just realized, oh, there's all these deposits, you know, of hard circumstances, good circumstances, where God has been growing me and teaching me. And I need to always recount those and stuff. So so let's transition to talking a little bit about different seasons of life mm-hmm. and um, a couple of questions. I want to walk through a few specific seasons of life that you've been through just to get your thoughts on them, like looking back on your own life or just observing um, the women around you. And so I just wanted to start with singleness. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. a very broad category right. of women, um, but I just wondered what thoughts you had um, for, for single women encouragements for them. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we have a single girl living with us right now who's maybe 28. Um, and we've all, we always have people living with us, as you might have picked up. Um, <clears throat> and then my daughters. So my uh, first two got married probably when they were like 20, 22, 21. Um, and then Brittany um, is my fifth child most godly person you will ever meet in your entire life <laughs> and like she nobody was pursuing her you know and it was just like really like like she is such a catch <laughs> and um and so just helping her like during that process and then my youngest daughter got married young um but i've seen talking to Brittany. um just the struggles that she would have and other single girls that have been involved in our lives and just seeing, um, I mean, it's the same thing I would say about steadfastness. It's just like, ultimately, you have got to trust the Lord. Um, You can't try and figure all this out, you know, and and like know what the next step is going to be or am I supposed to get married? Am I not supposed to get married? Like, just pursue God and, and be the woman that you know God wants you to be. And God's going God's gonna to take care of you. He's watching over you just like he watches over all of us. And it's only our, like, when we try and take matters into our own hands, when we compare ourselves to others and think, well, how come she, I mean, how come she's married or if that's what you wanted or... How come she's like doing so great and has all these relationships and, you know, and then we become self-focused and, uh, you know, feel sorry for ourselves and all those kind of things, which totally leave God out of the picture. So that would be the biggest thing I would say. And then just, I would always say to Brittany and to this girl that lives with us right now, I said, just let God surprise you. Like why? Why try and figure all this out? He wants to he wants to do something great for you. Just let him do that. You know, rather than being anxious and you know, tr- yeah, just trying to make it happen. So, I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but well, and I also wondered, I just know for me when I look at my 
single friends and the single ladies in our church. I just see so much grace in their yeah. lives oh and just goodness. what a blessing they are. Um, and so I just wondered as a pastor's wife, like how have you seen single women uh, like use their gifts and just bring grace to the church yeah. over the years? Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I think people like think all they do is babysit, <laughs> which is an extreme blessing to married people around them. But there's so much. I mean, let's see, there's one, two, three, five single girls that pretty much make Sunday happen at our church. You know, with COVID and it's live streaming, I mean, she like found out how to do that. She, you know, used her intelligence to figure out computer stuff and wi-fi and just i mean something was always going wrong and she just was there you know and just threw herself into it and i mean they are such an asset i you know they don't have all the distractions of little ones running around their feet and all that and it's just it's so wonderful to see somebody just pursue God um, and let him do what he's going to do with your life. It is not a wasted season. It is an incredible season. And even if it's an extended season, it's there's so much, you know, that they deposit into people's lives um, just by their zeal for the Lord and love for others and love for unbelievers and and this one girl like works with refugees, you know, it's just like there's so much to be done. Mm-hmm. So and there's not enough people. It's <laughs> good. Um, all right, so so marriage, I love your story with Bob. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's a little bit of an unrequited love story there for a while, a little totally. bit of drama. Um, but I'll you know, you'll have to get that story another time. We need to share a little bit if you want to. But I just thought we would talk a, a little bit about marriage and, and maybe just talk to younger wives about how to cultivate a godly marriage. And then also to women who are more in your season. They're mm-hmm. kind of like going for the long haul and how to cultivate their marriage for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. I think the most important thing, like I'm trying to think, like we always do pre-marriage counseling. I'm trying to think, what do I say then? Um, I, I think lots of times when we get married, we think we find out that the person's a lot different than we are. <laughs> and that's a bit of a shock, you know, because you dated and it was all so great. And yeah, maybe you had a few conflicts, but it was good. Um, and then you get married and those things become a little more irritating. And it's just like, why does he just not do what I said to do? And then, you know, and so I think we kind of, we can have this idea that if he was just like me, this would be so much easier, which one is incredibly arrogant <laughs> to think that we've got the corner on the market. But two, like God, God in his sovereignty brought you two together with your unique gifts and personalities and strengths. And he doesn't want those to go away. He wants to put those together to make you so much better as a couple. You know, like you can, yeah, you just, you you grow together and you 
realize this isn't like a competition to see whose way wins out. This is like, oh, I really love this person and I can't believe they're thinking that. But let me ask a question about that rather than judging them and assuming that they're out to get me or they don't respect me or, you know, whatever runs through our lovely minds. Um, You know, and and benefit from those differences and understanding each other. Um, Judging is just huge, you know, that we judge one another so quickly, assume the motives of people so quickly um and as we get more and more familiar with each other i think we tend to think yeah well no i really know (laughs) (laughs) when really we have no idea you know so i always start at the place of no i really love bob and i respect him so i want to understand why he's made this decision or why he reacted that way or why he brought that up um because it's all just getting to know this person better and what what makes them tick and think. and So there's that part. And then there's the other part of just um, cultivating affection for one another. Like we, if we're near each other, we are touching. You know, we just, we always, um, yeah, want to cultivate just a, a true affection for one another. And we always say, make every kiss count. You know, we're not just going to peck each other and walk out the door. You know, it's going to be a good kiss. Mm -hmm. You know, and we've just done that for all these years. And um, I think that's kept us really, really close. One of the things, yeah. Um, Yeah, and then I think being clear on, uh, like if God's, if, if we believe God's sovereign, like he, he picked this person and this life for me. Um, so if ever I'm thinking, this is too much, like, <laughs> I can't do all this. There's kids everywhere. Um, the house is a wreck. Um, he's off working, probably like eating at some nice restaurant, you know, and I'm like, wrestling these kids to get to dinner um to realize like no god god has this for us i at at one point i was i was struggling with comparing myself my life to bob's life and i remember um just being convicted like you know if i really believe god's powerful and in control and stuff then he could have put me anywhere else, but he, like, I could be doing something else. I could be an executive in some whatever, <laughs> but he has handpicked this life for me. So I want to, like, do it the best possible way that I can, you know, and throw myself into it. Like, this is, this is, like, what God has for me, and I want to do it well. I want to bring glory to him and in all that I do and stuff and not always be wishing that well if I could just go to this conference or be on that trip with Bob my life would be so much better and you know this is where God has me you know and I need to apply myself to that and that I mean it seems so simple but it like changed everything for me I mean I never 
honestly never struggled again with him traveling or anything because I just knew, no, this is, God didn't pick that. He picked this. So I'm going to do this good and I want to find joy in this. And yeah, there's going to be hard days, long days. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's what he has for me. So throw myself into that. Um, so what about being a mom? Talk about that. Six kids, <laughs> now grown, 19 grandchildren. Yeah. So uh, speak to young moms. Just encourage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a whole category. But um, what encouragements do you have for them looking back at your oh, I don't many have, years with young children? I don't even have to look back. I can always, I'm always surrounded with, I think every one of our married kids have lived with us at some point yeah. with their kids. Um, <clears throat> so my oldest has six. Then Jordan has five. Devin has four. It's diminishing returns is what we say. <laughs> Chelsea has three. So so it's pretty, and they're all done. They all say they're done. Um, but I've, you know, I've been able to watch them parent um, up close and personal. I feel like, I, I mean, that whole empty nester thing mm, doesn't really work for us. <laughs> sounds like so right now, um, my youngest is living with us, and she is an 18-month-old. Um, and then before that, we had a guy named David Zimmer and his family were living with us. And they had two, four and two-year-olds that live with us. And sh- we talked a lot about parenting with them. I mean, they were so hungry to learn. Um, but the biggest thing is, like, as you're older, you have the perspective of, like, we get younger moms get so worked up about the smallest details and I'm always like you know what they're gonna grow like there's gonna be a day when your battle isn't getting them to sit in the high chair like they're gonna be like actually taking their dish over to the sink and thanking you (laughs) you know it's just like but we like you know we live in this so small world of if I don't get them to not throw their fork off of the high chair, they're not going to be converted. Like, their lives are going to be ruined because I wasn't faithful in this moment. (laughs) You know, which we want to be faithful and we want to be disciplined and consistent and all that stuff. But God's at work too. (laughs) And he's at work in those little kids' minds and hearts. And he is going to draw them to himself and everything is just not as big of a deal as we make it at times. (laughs) And yes, the days are extremely long, but the years are really short. It does go by so fast. I mean, I can't, I can still envision myself in a bathroom (laughs) at somebody's house with Megan, my oldest, and she had done disobeyed somehow so I was disciplining her in the bathroom and it was hot and I was sweating and I was like this is my life I am going to be doing this forever I cannot believe you know Megan's 40 years old now has six kids is an amazing mom she's an incredible photographer she loves the Lord you know and I'm just like what you know (laughs) but we're so sure that oh you know, it's all so important and so crucial, and we've got to get it exactly right. Now, what we have to get exactly right is to model 
that we love the Lord with everything in us and he's the one we run to when we're having a hard time and he's the only one that's going to rescue our kids and has rescued us and you know just modeling our dependence on God and the gospel on a daily basis and like a little thing I feel like millennials tend to talk so much to their kids (laughs) rather than just dealing with things like when they're young really little like you know what just discipline them like you don't need to like walk them through the entire gospel and reason it out why they didn't pick up that toy and you know laboriously talking there's gonna be plenty of time to talk especially when you get older (laughs) that's right that's right um what about moms of teens teens thoughts Mm. for moms of teens okay um i think building great relationships with them and staying close with them um even though the world is telling them that to be mature is to be independent and you know I mean the world is just you know it's just like yeah when you're 18 you're out of here you know you you know you're a senior in high school you don't need your mom's thoughts on anything you know and we just um always raised our kids to realize that like maturity is realizing is mistrusting your heart and realizing that you need others around you i mean we were realizing like all the grown-ups <laughs> our friends that we admire the most are all people that come and ask for thoughts on things why do we think that our teenagers are the ones that shouldn't need to do that you know so so that's kind of like our baseline <laughs> Um, and so we would always, as they matured, we would say, we want to get to a place where you're not asking permission, but you're asking for wisdom Mm -hmm. on situations. Um, and that, yeah, and that you mistrust your heart and that you, um, want others thoughts on things. You don't, you haven't like cornered the market on knowing what to do in every situation but that all that all comes out of remaining close to them during the teen years um yeah i mean we had our son devin when he was like 13 started rebelling i mean (laughs) it seems silly at this time but it got worse um started with he was i homeschooled and he was cheating on his math the saxon answers in the back yes they are (laughs) so it started with that then he was like skipping things you know would say he had done stuff and hadn't done it granted I was the worst at accountability with them but um so yeah so he started cheating a lot and then it was he was like listening to music he wasn't supposed to listen to and so all that just kind of like grew and he eventually got to the point where he really hated us I mean he just didn't want to hear from us he um, didn't respect us Um, he was just horrible to live with and Bob was traveling a lot at the time and I would like you know ask him to do or no confront him about something thinking it wasn't going to be that big of a deal and then it would turn into this massive argument 
And then I'd like, you know, <laughs> being so smart, would make it even bigger. And then it was like this life dominating thing. And don't you understand if you don't pick up whatever you're, you know, you're never going to succeed as an adult. You know, I mean, it was just like, you know, and Devin was smart enough. Like when I started exaggerating, <laughs> he knew I had lost at that point. So we got to the place where like, he, like, he wouldn't let me touch him. He, uh, was just unkind, argumentative, angry, um, and it was miserable. I would say it was like living with hell. It was just, yeah, not a pleasant time. Um, and so I, I just decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay close to him. And so my brother um, had been into college basketball, and we used to watch Maryland basketball together when I was like probably 13. And I was like, I like college basketball. And Devin loves college basketball. So I was like, we're gonna watch college basketball together. And I'd sit on the couch next to him and we'd watch all the Duke games. I love Duke and he liked Duke at the time. And uh, I was just into college basketball. I would pepper him with a bazillion questions like, what foul was that? And what was that? And what's the stats on that guy? And you know, and that was our thing that held us together through that time. So finding something that you can just get with him and then I encouraged Bob to just start getting with him one-on-one -on -one. and they would go to Starbucks and Devin would say I hate this and Bob would say on the way I'm, I really hate doing this <laughs> this is not going to be pleasant and stuff and so that went on but he just kept doing it every week and um and eventually um I think it, there was this m moment when Devin really liked Dennis Rodman, who was this NBA player who was like kind of the bad boy of the NBA. And, you know, it would drive Bob crazy that that was who he admired. But anyway, so he, they went out to Starbucks and he, they were talking and he said, so Devin, why do you like Dennis Rodman? You know, what is it that you admire about him? So rather than like correcting him about it all, he just like listened to him and so Devin like had all these great reasons like he has this incredible work ethic he, like he works so hard on the court and you know there's all these things and and he realized like you know I so quickly just correct rather than trying to find out like what it is and Devin I mean I, Bob has a podcast that he does a worship and Devin was on it and he was telling about this time and he said it was like the first time when I felt like dad was like coming alongside mm -hmm. of me and talking to me rather than talking at me. And that was, that was huge. That started a, a whole thing changing. So, so Devin did get converted. He's actually a pastor, <laughs> leads worship, just finished his PhD at Southern. Um, so yeah, he's all in big time. <laughs> and it's probably, uh, I think he would say his dad's his best friend. Mm -hmm. I mean, they talk all the time. Uh, both boys. I mean, they just, that, that sewing into those relationships just bears so much fruit as they're adults. You know, it's just, they always, if, and my girls too, if they need something, they'll, they'll contact us and say, so what do you think? Or we're having this really hard time with our teenager. Like, what do we do? And, 
Yeah, so it's really cool. It's a, a relationship that's been maintained. <clears throat> okay, so you are kind of known for your hospitality. <laughs> Even me from afar. Um, you you do big hospitality. Yeah. Like you said, with your huge family, there's no way to get away from big hospitality. But there's always an after party at the Coughlin's after any conference or um, you just host people, you host people in your home, people live there. Um, so I just was so curious, when did this become part of your life and, and what motivates you to do that? It's a yeah. lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so growing up in a home where we never had anyone over ever, um, I went away to college and there was a girl in college that was like part of a Bible study that we were part of. She had an apartment in Philadelphia and she would like invite us over for dinner. She had a, I think probably just a toaster oven and she would do baked chicken that was stuffed and it was just all so good in this little like efficiency apartment. And I was just like really struck by that. And when we were on the road, we like stayed in so many people's houses. So. So I really was affected by that. But the biggest one was in, in, co- let's see. Yeah, in college, a couple who was part of our church, um, I think they maybe had one child, and he, like, worked for Roman Haas or something. Like, they just seemed like, like, they were, like, doing it. They were, like, living life. Like, they had an apartment. They were married he made money you know it was just like and they invited a a bunch of college kids over for dinner and like I just could not even fathom that they had done that I think we just had spaghetti but it was just I was just like I cannot believe that people would invite this motley crew over and bless us like this and so I was just like I want to be like Mm -hmm. that um, so, so we get married, we graduate and all that. We lived in the ghetto of Philadelphia in a row house. I think our rent was $120. Um, the band paid for our rent and I think Bob made $20 a week. <laughs> and then it became 30 because we were married. They gave us extra money. You were worth $3 a week. (laughs) Um, So we were extremely poor. I mean, they they paid for our food when we were on the road, but when we were home, it was just, you know, there was like a kind of an unclaimed freight kind of place. Like there were all these just horrible places that I would go shopping to find bargains. But um, people, the rent was so cheap that other people from our church like started moving in around us and stuff. So a lot of single guys. Um, and so whenever I would make something a little bit like pork chops were on sale, I'd make pork chops and I'd invite somebody over. And I mean, we just had this little table. And so we moved from there and then, um, and we also like had, well, that's another story. We, we all like, we had somebody staying with us that was like a homeless person. I mean, you know, we, we just always doing dumb, you know thinking we were really godly, unwise things. But anyway, so then we moved to Virginia and lived in subsidized housing and apartment complex, and a lot more people from the church moved in around us, and we had a community group there. And uh, 
we just whenever well, and then you know started having kids let's see how we probably had three or four in the apartments and still didn't have a lot of money but you know you just work around it you just think okay well I can't I don't have any money to make a meal for all these people I want to have over so well, let's just have them for dessert you know we can get we can afford a gallon of ice cream um, so we just tried to include people into our lives um, we had some singles who were very kind to watch our kids every Monday night for date nights and so I always fed them dinner um, and those are just relationships that I still have this one girl in, that's in Charlotte who probably watched our kids for probably 10 years you know it's just she was so kind every Monday night um, but now she's married and has grown kids and you know, it's just crazy um, so yeah so it just kept growing our family kept growing um, and then we kind of got into this uh, Sunday Sunday lunches um, in Gaithersburg and when we we always kept it kind of open so our whole family would be there but then because you're already cooking for a lot of people it's not much to invite a few more people so that's when the big thing started growing from there um, oh we also at, when we planted the church in Charlotte we did newcomers luncheons um, with a couple across the street and us and we would alternate like who did the main meal and we never knew how many people were going to come and so we like back then casseroles were king and so we would make a casserole and just trust that we would have enough and sometimes you know we'd order something extra or nobody would come and we'd divvy it up between us and you know but it, so that that built my like repertoire <laughs> and I started like getting just serving pieces like anything that I realized like this would just make it all a lot easier if I had some big platters or so I'd go into TJ Maxx and buy a $7.99 platter or something you know so I just started accruing entertainment like like I have just a lot of big stuff now um so yeah so it's just it's just grown from that um I, I just, and we've, we've always been, you know, if you can come and be a part of us, this is great. We're not going to try and impress you. Mm -hmm. We're, we're just who we are. And if you want to join in on fun, <laughs> you will have a blast, you know, but I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to wow you with my, you know, presentation. My house is not spotless. But, you know, so that was one of the things, like, with the little kids, it was like, <laughs> this was a moment um, where they would say, oh, are we having somebody over tonight? Because I was making dessert, you know, or, or I was making a nicer meal. Oh, so we're having people over? <laughs> and I was like, I don't want that to be what my kids catch, is like I only do nice things for other people and I give them whatever um, so I just purposed that I was always going to cook nice meals for my family mm -hmm. and it wasn't going to be that different when somebody else comes, came over also I was convicted of how I just became this harsh mom mm -hmm. if we were going to have people over and I was just bossing them around and 
telling them what to do and sweating and <laughs> not enjoying it at all and they didn't enjoy it at all and I was like I I don't want this to be what they take away I want them to realize that this is a joy to have people over so that that was a real conviction of sin on my part and it's so cool like now as my kids are all grown like they all are incredible at hospitality they love having people over and I'm like you know I didn't I didn't know they would catch that but they did and that's amazing you know so yeah so the not trying to impress people oh yeah and so the cleaning thing so I just realized you know what I'm not the best housekeeper, but I'm I'm gonna you know we were all into chores then and stuff with six kids that's a benefit. So everybody had their chores and it was just like our house is always going to be somewhat in a good state that we could Bob could call up and say hey is it okay if somebody comes over we'd be good with that because it's always bathrooms are clean the, you know not spotless mm-hmm. nothing spotless there's still toys everywhere but. It's in a pretty good place, you know, so there was never that pressure of it's got to be perfect if we're going to have anybody over. And it's funny, like now, like we built a house and we live on five acres and it's somewhat of a posh neighborhood. And we have a Christmas party every year, not this year, but um, for the neighbors and they all come over and they cannot believe that we invite people like they're always Mm. like, we have always noticed that you have people over like that is so neat. (laughs) Like that you have people in your house and, and we've done it, you know, three years now and they're more relaxed now and the people that come and like, you just realize like they built these like show places that they don't even have people over to. And they can't believe that like we would let people into our pretty house, you know? So that's pretty crazy. But anyway, I don't know if I answered your question. Um, yeah, so not impressing. I'm not there to entertain. Um, just in there to just love people and include them in our lives. A um, couple recommendations. Ina Gartner, who's the Barefoot Contessa. I love, I know cookbooks aren't a thing anymore, but her cookbooks, the stuff she writes. So she was married to a guy who worked in D.C., and she loves to cook and she would um, plan these big brunches and and people would come and she realized like I don't even spend time with the people that come because I'm like trying to do all this stuff and so I don't want to be in the kitchen I want to be with them and so she is she's just has a great philosophy about that and I you know so couple practical things like if you're gonna have people over and plan something just do a couple things that are labor intensive and do some easy the rest easy things you know if you enjoy that like I love to bake you know so I might put time into that or I might put time into making rolls or something but I'm not gonna you know and then I'll get some microwave beans or you know just easier things or just a salad um rather than thinking everything has got to be amazing. You know, this handcrafted amazing thing. I mean, yeah, it really is just wanting to be a lover of people and include them in, you know, God's given us a family and 
I want to love people and let them feel a part of that, and especially people who, I mean, now it's really cool because in Louisville there's a lot of students, and to be able to have them, I mean, they're, like Bob has a little intern meeting with, I think it's like 12 kids that are at a college, and um, I mean, I just make them chocolate chip cookies every time, every Thursday night, and they're just like, you would think I had like <laughs> given them a hundred dollars. I mean, they're just like, this is amazing, Mrs. Gobble. I can't believe you make us these. And they write me notes and you know, it's just, and so we've had them for dinner a couple of times, but they just, I can't believe we're not eating cafeteria food. This is amazing. <laughs> you know, so I just love that. I love, it. but I do love to cook. So that helps. That does help. But if you don't love to cook, I think you just have to like go with your strengths. You know, even if it's like, you know, whenever we have people over, this is my kind of go-to meal. That's okay. Like, it's not like you have to reinvent everything every time to make it incredible. And even if it's the same people, like, they probably haven't eaten it for a right. couple months. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, they, hey, wait, didn't we have this last time? You know, so. And pizza always works. And pizza <laughs> always works. Yeah. So, that's me. That's great. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> That's so fun to chat and dive deeper Aww. into your life and your thoughts and just to hear um, your love for the Lord and your fight for faith in the Lord and fight to be faithful. And um, so it's just been fun to sit down and Aww, chat. And thank thanks, you for Dad. taking the time. And thanks to everyone who listened. Yeah.